You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Ryan. For those of you that are new, so glad that you joined us. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up in Matthew chapter 2. If not, we got it on the screen. Um, we're going to be continuing on in our message series called Unwrapping Christmas. And so I don't know about you, but at my household on a uh, Christmas morning, it's like there's a debris of just uh, Christmas debris everywhere. And then you sit there and you're like, oh my goodness, that was awesome. And uh, with the kids and all that stuff. So lots of fun. But the message series was kind of intended to kind of help you kind of look a little closer at what Christmas is all about. And so I I hope that you've enjoyed and learned a lot uh, through the last couple of weeks. And today we're actually going to look at a very famous uh, section of Scripture as well in the Gospel of Matthew about the wise men. So how many of you have a nativity set? Raise your hand for me. How many of you actually put it up? Raise your hand. So did we. So we put up our nativity set, and today I'm probably going to uh, frustrate you that and show you perhaps many of us have been a bit naive when it comes to our nativity and so, um, but what I want to do is I want to show you the passages of Scripture, the story that we've looked at so many different times, look at it, and then learn from it. And so um, that's what we're going to do today. Um, so we're going to unwrap, if you will, Christmas just a little bit more. So let me just go ahead and, and get going in the text. We're going to look at uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, and just by the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospel writers writing about the details in the life of Jesus Christ. But guess what? Only in Matthew and only in Luke do we get a little bit of a section about the birth of Jesus Christ. Mark doesn't even mention it. John doesn't mention it either. So again, like Christmas is a big deal. It's a big deal because it shares the story of a Savior coming to save people from their sins. So there's a hope and a, and a healing that can take place through the Christmas story. But we're going to jump in into Matthew today. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men of the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. In other words, the wise men show up. These are, in some of your Bible translations, might be the magi. These are individuals that are very educated, very smart, very gifted people. Um, They're probably, uh, as the best context of understanding from the east, it means Babylon. I don't know if you know uh, Bible history or not, but Babylon are the bad guys. Uh, The Jewish folks hated Babylon. Why? Because Babylon crushed uh, the, the Jerusalem before. So these wise guys on your nativity set are actually bad guys, contextually speaking. But they're coming to see this king of the Jews. In other words, there's like this expectation. This would have been a long trip. They show up in, in Jerusalem and they're saying, where is, where is he? Where's the party? I don't know if you've ever been to a party before and you show up and you find out you were late and everybody's gone. And, or you've come to a service when we switched the services, we had some folks show up and they're like, what's happening? We're like, uh, service ended. I'm sorry. Just stick around for the next one. Um, they show up and, and, and they're confused. 
Um, what you don't know about your wise men is that they're actually, uh, contextually speaking, from the Jewish perspective, these are just bad guys because they, they dealed around with um, a, a, a sorcery, in a sense, of looking to the stars for guidance, which was a no-no, a big uh, command against all of God's people uh, throughout ancient history, never to look to stars for guidance, but look to God. Uh, and so, I mean, in today's culture as Christians, I ask folks, like, where do you get your guidance from? And they say, well, I watch, you know, I listen to my friends, and, you know, I, I do like to look at my horoscope. I look at my, my, I talk to a number of folks. I look to the Bible. They got, it's like a copy-paste thing into trying to figure out guidance. These guys are actually questionable figures for the Jewish audience. Matthew is a, by the way, the writer of Matthew, really cool story, He was a business guy who had some shady dealings, who met Jesus along his life and ministry when Jesus is a grown adult, uh, is calling people unto himself to follow him. And since in in this time period, Matthew would probably be a very, uh, he was a Jewish guy, but he works for Rome and the Jews hated Rome. So he's like a traitor. He like fits nowhere. He doesn't fit within Rome because he's a Jew. And then he doesn't fit within his own Jewish community because he's, working for Rome. And nobody likes tax collectors. One of my best buddies, uh, Tom Clower, a good friend of mine, he's probably watching this online. He's about to go get deployed. He works for the IRS. And he says, Ryan, it's just hard to make friends here in North Carolina. And I say, well, you are a tax collector. So I mean, literally some of the things he does, he seizes the assets, freezes bank accounts. Like it's just like, if you don't pay your taxes, they take note, they will get you. Matthew is a tax collector. He's recording the details, but what you need to know about Matthew that's different than Mark, Luke, and John gospel writers is 93 different times he mentions Old Testament prophetic fulfillments of prophecy, meaning promises that were made about this Messiah hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ because he wants his audience to buy in. And Babylon's a rough start. Having Babylonian wise guys coming into the birth of Jesus Christ, that's just like, that's not good validation. This is crazy. So here are the wise guys on your counter, at your nativity. These are bad guys, but God's doing something good in the heart of some bad guys. Watch this. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why would he be troubled? Because it's another king that's been talked about. And all of Jerusalem with him, meaning a lot of people in Jerusalem get stirred up, verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In other words, like in our day and time when uh, our president uh, will uh, have time periods where he's looking to, uh, for guidance, for a decision, oftentimes they'll bring in the religious community to serve as kind of a consultation. Well, Herod's not necessarily a good guy. He's a pretty much a bad guy too. And what's going on with Herod is, is he works for Rome and he's supposed to keep peace in Judea, but he's going to bring in the religious community and tell me about this king that was to be born because these wise guys show up from Babylon. They're astrologers and saying they're following the star. What's going on? And so he assembles a special council, verse five, and here's what the religious uh, consultants say to King Herod. They told him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, 
and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What's he talking about? Um, That's the prophet Micah. So the religious community, a lot of people were anticipating a Messiah coming. I mean, it was messianic times, an expectation, like change is coming, change is coming. They just didn't expect Jesus to show up in the way that he did. They were hoping for a powerhouse, a display of overthrowing the Roman government, and they didn't get that. They get a baby in a manger. And so these religious consultants, the scribes and and the chief priests, very educated people, give consultation to Herod, who's a client king, in a sense, of under uh, Caesar Augustus, a Roman emperor. And so now Herod's got some knowledge. He, he says, okay, the religious community has confirmed it. There is supposedly going to be this king coming for the Jews, but he has no idea. So verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Why he does it secretly should pay of some observation for us. Secretly and ascertain from them what time the, the, time the star had appeared. So he's just gathering some information, trying to figure out what's going on. Verse 8. And he went to them, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. And if you've been paying attention and you didn't check out, you're like, "Mm, yeah, right. I don't think so. I don't think he wants to really worship him. The Scripture has already told us that he was troubled. So look what happens. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they, meaning the wise men, went on their way, and behold, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So, I mean, they're excited. It's like the Shekinah glory, like some spectacular show of lights that they'd never seen before. They knew the stars. They studied this stuff. And God's been working in their life, and they're on this journey. And by the way, Babylon to Jerusalem is a long trek. It's a long journey. And so they're pumped. They're moving forward. They're like, okay, we got it confirmed. The religious community did say it was in the uh, town of Bethlehem. Yes, and there's a star. And so they're moving forward. But it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house. So this is where it's interesting. Notice that word house and then watch this. And this is unwrapping your nativity a little bit more. Going into the house, you're like, wait a second. I thought it was like a stable or a cave or there was a manger. Well, it's a house now. And they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And so, like, I get it. Like, on your nativity, there's baby Jesus. And in the Gospel of Luke, Charlie Brown special, right? There were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, saying, good news, today in the town of David, a Savior will be born. And I'm paraphrasing it. So the angels are there, and then here in Matthew's account, he doesn't mention the angels, but he mentions the wise men. But in Luke's account, the gospel writer, who's a historian and a doctor, so he's Dr. Luke, um, 
he says it's a baby. And here, it's a child. And in Luke's gospel, it's a manger. And in Matthew's gospel, it's a house. So what's going on? Let me unwrap the story a little bit for you. It's not a big deal, but it is something to notice. Because if you come and get pressed about your faith, this is one of the things that happened to me when I first became a Christian. I had unbelievers that were fairly educated, would read the Bible and take, pay attention. They would say to me, there's so many discrepancies between Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Like, it's just inconsistent. Well, like, here's my argument. They see this star, they go into the house. Yes, did that happen? Yes, are there really these gifts? Yes, yes, yes. But what I would argue is that based on the text, the house and the child indicate that the shepherd's in the field and Jesus in the manger has already taken place. And by the time the wise men get there, this is not a baby anymore, this is a child. And actually, there's evidence in the rest of the Matthew account that we're going to read is that Jesus is actually about perhaps two years old at this point. So you're saying to me, but my nativity shows they're all together. Well, so what? It sold a lot of nativity sets. And everybody wants the wise men and the shepherds together. But here's what we see is that there is some clarity here. And you, you, you say, Man, okay, so was there, was there really, you might have heard this said, was there really three wise men? Because the scripture never really says, could there have been more? The answer is, yeah, there could have been more. In fact, there's good reason to even think there was more. And you say, why? Well, again, contextually, historically speaking, it was a bad idea to travel from Babylon all the way to Jerusalem with just a few people, whom, by the way, are loaded financially. I mean, they've got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, they got a lot of stuff with them. I mean, how easy would that be for a group of bandits to sit up on a high hill and just swoop down and get three of them? No, I think they came with a massive caravan. I, one of the uh, Christmas nat uh, nativity stories, the movies, did a pretty good job on showing this massive deal where this massive caravan comes. So with all the pomp and the power tied to these guys, these are wealthy individuals, educated individuals, making a massive trip and journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. I would argue there was probably a lot. Is there room to say there was only three? Yeah, there is, and this is where you'd find it. They opened their, their treasures, and they offered him gifts and gold and frankincense. And here's the cool thing. If you look back at that passage in verse uh, um Verse 11, you see that it says, they went to the house and they fell down and they worshiped him. So are these people, these wise men, really worshiping Jesus? Yeah, they are. They, they consulted the stars. They were probably pagan uh, folks. Babylon was guilty of uh, worshiping all sorts of false deities. And they probably, somebody along the way, uh, came to faith in God and said, hey, have you been reading about the prophet Micah and all these other guys, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these other, uh, Hosea and all these other folks, have you been reading about that? No, we haven't. And all of a sudden, God begins to draw them to a place of worship. And that's true for so many of us. We could be the bad guys in a sense, or one time we were the bad guys, and then God's spirit kind of moves in and then things kind of start falling into place. And then somewhere along the journey, you just go for it. 
And that's what they did. They, they just went for it. And they probably got a lot of heat too because they're, they're the bad guys. But they're worshiping him. So you're your wise men on your counter or on your shelf or on your, wherever it is at your table at home, it should be a reminder that God works with some pretty difficult people. And, and it costs them a lot to worship. Look, they gave they give their treasures. They offered him. But then watch what happens in verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return. They were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. In other words... Ta-da! Gift of discernment. They know. Herod was a bad guy. Of course, he doesn't want to worship the child. They know, and then God intervenes through a dream, and and you'll see this repeatedly happen. And then verse 13, we're going to finish up the whole chapter of chapter 2. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said... You better rise up and take that child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. God oftentimes in in biblical history works through dreams to warn people of uh, uh, bad things that are about to happen. Uh, I remember as a new believer, I had a dream one time, and it was a a dream about in, in one of my relationships that I was in, and it was a bad dream. And I woke up and I told my dad, because I didn't have many Christian friends at the time, so I just went to my dad. He's a Christian psychiatrist and a counselor and all this other stuff. And so I go to him and I said, Dad, what do you think the Lord's telling me to do? He says, break up with that girl that you've been dating and trust him for whatever's next. And I did. I broke up the next day. And somebody said, why'd you do it? I was like, I had a bad dream. And they're like, you really think that's the Lord? I'm like, I really do. And here's why. Because it made sense with Scripture too. So oftentimes we can get something that happens where the Spirit of God works in a funky, weird way, and it's kind of mystical. I mean, the whole thing about the Holy Spirit's mystical. It's a mysterious thing. It's a prompting of the heart. It's a something's nudging, a divine nudging. You don't feel good about it, and but then you see the the principles of Scripture screen it through, and you're like, yeah, that does make sense. I'm gonna make that decision. So they pack up. Based on a dream, Joseph's broke already. Mary's broke too. She's young. They've already faced all sorts of opposition. So how do they finance their trip again? By the way, Joseph had to show up in Bethlehem and pay taxes and enlist for the military because Rome wants some powerhouse military. So not a good Christmas for them. But what do they probably do? Most scholars agree. They probably cashed in on the gold, the frankincense and myrrh. And Joseph says, I've got it covered we're going to travel. We've got this thing financed. Maybe Jesus has a trust fund now. There's money there. So they, they move, they go, verse 14, and he rose and he took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Again, Matthew's adding these prophetic fulfillments so people will believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, that the Bible, the Scripture is true. And he's quoting a prophet from Hosea, and he says, out of Egypt I call my son. And then we see that Herod is going to move in and try to wipe out a baby population. It's going to be a a bloodbath. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked, the wise men... He became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region 
who were two years old or under, according to the time that they had, he had ascertained from the wise men. Most uh, commentators, scholars, and Bible uh, thinkers and theologians would agree there was, this was probably not just a hundred kids. It could have been a thousand, two thousand children. Wiped out at the age of two and under. So this again brings that credence or that idea that Jesus, he's not a baby anymore. He's a child. Look what it says in the scripture. Again, Matthew pays careful attention He's got the analytical brain. He's the money guy. He's the tax collector. He writes down and records all the male children. And again, child, 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 as mentioned by Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel calls Jesus a baby. So verse 17, we'll finish it out. Then, then, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice of uh, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is indicating the slaughter that took place. Herod is a ferocious individual, terrified of the fact that there could be a, a Jesus uh, that is going to be a king and uh, eliminate perhaps his rule and reign. Verse 19 But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, this is again, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those that have sought the child's life are dead. In other words, you can go now. So Joseph is probably excited, and he rose, verse 21, and he rose and took the child and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. There's just a lot of moving around here. I mean, and a lot of, a lot of uh, spirit guiding, angel of the Lord moving in verse 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. Uh, that was spoken by the prophets. Again, there it is might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So just two takeaways real quick from this passage. That's, that's, that's the Christmas birth of Christ according to the gospel of Matthew. Uh, two things. Number one is that God's gift is for everyone. I feel so good about the Christian faith because I see a consistent theme throughout all of scripture that God will work with anyone and everyone who's just receptive. Because in Luke's gospel, the dealings with the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ when it comes to Christmas that we see is the shepherds, and the shepherds were the outcast. Well, in Matthew's gospel, it's the wise men. But what we fail to really take into account, these are bad guys. They're educated, they're rich, but they don't, they, they've been dealing with stuff that they shouldn't be dealing with. They were mixed up in sorcery. They were astrologers. They're enemies. They're, they don't have a good reputation. But what I love about the Christmas story and about the birth of Jesus Christ is that the gift, God's gift, salvation, is for everyone. And God will use just about anyone. And maybe you've counted yourself out and thinking, like, God couldn't use me. No, He can use you. He can use some unworthy shepherds in a field. To be the first evangelist, by the way, that go and share about the good news of Jesus Christ, and he could use you. Or you're, maybe you're the, the, uh, the other side. You're the educated, really super sophisticated, smart, wealthy, good, everything's going good, but you don't know God. I mean, the Christmas story is God can use them. 
I mean, it's interesting to me that God uses them to bring in the message into Jerusalem. A couple years later, perhaps, it's like a reminder, like, oh my goodness. The Jewish people had to be like, man, this is crazy. Like shepherds are talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now these, these bad guys from Babylon are talking about this king of the Jews. Like in time, it had spread like wildfire and Jesus' ministry grew. I remember I heard somebody say one time, it was, was it the Beatles that said they were more famous than Jesus? You know, I'm like, no. Jesus is, he, he will echo in eternity. His name is worshipped all, along all uh, continents and, and countries of the world. There's no other name like Jesus. Why is that? Because Jesus identifies with everybody from the, the high and mighty to the low and humble. That's the story of Christmas. God's gift is for everybody. So bring in people that may be on the street. Bring in people that are up in the, 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 high, the high places. I mean, the, the message is for everybody for Christmas. Help people understand that God's grace is good enough for everyone. Secondly, I just say from the passage, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. I mean, that's what I love about the Christian message is I think it's an intelligent message that you don't have to be an idiot and stick your head in the sand and act like, you know, you can't explain these inconsistencies that you might appear to see inconsistencies in the gospel accounts when it comes to details about perhaps the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You actually just look into it a little bit more, and then you can explain it. So what's happening with Matthew is he's trying to explain 93 different times all the Old Testament promises and predictions 500 plus years before the time of Jesus' birth. Like, hey, this is seriously important. You know, like, and I think it's in Mark's gospel, it's mentioned some 49 times. So Mark doesn't care about quoting the facts and the details about these Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled. But for me, it's important as we go through hard times is to remember, like, I can trust God's Word, you know? And so here are three principles to put into practice, I'd say, this Christmas and New Year. Wisdom from the wise men. Here it is. Number one is to realize that when you are trusting God, it's just going to make you tough. Because uh, the more you trust God, the more you kind of put yourself out of your comfort zone, and I think of, the, of these wise guys, and I've never looked at it like this before until I studied it uh, more in depth over the last few weeks, is, is that uh, they had to be pretty tough. I mean, to go to Jerusalem, which was one of their old stomping grounds, which they ruled and reigned, um, to endure perhaps the gossip, the slander, the uh, statements being said about them, um, I mean, many devout Jews probably would have seen the wise men as a threat because they're from Babylon. And like, you, if they really believed in Jesus as the Messiah, they're like, I don't know if I want you to know where he is because you're a bad guy. These guys were tough. They, they made a long journey, long trip, and they're trusting. I think for us as believers, we just got to be trusting God. I mean, that's the question. I mean, everybody's gone through a tough time, right? 2020. Who wants to repeat that? I want a new year in 2021, and I'm praying that for all of us, and I think every church in America and around the world is praying the same thing, <laughs> like, let's have a new year. But here's what I've learned is that the more I trust God, the tougher I have to get. 
Because, uh, and that's really the, the leverage and the, and the sign and the symbol for leadership and, and spiritual growth is that the more you trust God, the more vulnerable you become. And the, and, but what happens is, is that you, you realize that God's going to use this for good. So some of you, I know parenting is just a lot harder right now. You got to have to trust God. Um, school's a lot harder right now for you students. You're going to have to trust God. Um, your financial state of state is probably a lot harder right now. There's a lot of questions and uncertainty. You're going to have to trust God. And what's the result of all this going to be? I think it'll be tougher. I think you'll be a lot tougher. And I always pray, I always tell people uh, from, that a good prayer for us is to pray for really tough skin, but an incredibly soft heart. So I imagine that's how it worked for the wise men. They had to be tough. They kept that heart very sensitive. I mean, who in their right mind bows down, falls to the ground, and starts worshiping a, a little child? Incredibly a tender heart, but incredibly tough at the same time. I remember when I first became a Christian, um, I became a Christian, and uh, some people were like, I thought you were kind of like, didn't you get baptized already? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I got baptized when I was like in junior high. And then... Uh, Everybody found out I actually only got baptized because this girl that I really liked, she was really pretty when I was in junior high, and she said, I don't date Christian, I don't date non-Christians, and I said, well, I'm getting baptized tomorrow. And then I got baptized and came up out of the water and talked to her, and she's like, you're, you're a fake. And I said, dang it. Then, so I become a Christian, really, at 18, and then I get baptized, and some people started giving me trouble. They're like, you were already baptized. Like, what are you doing? Like, are, are you, what, are you, what is this? I'm like, God's got a hold of my life. And when you start following Jesus Christ, it can be really tough at times. You can start making some decisions in, in your life, and, and people start questioning you, and it gets tough. So, I mean, I don't know. Probably not a very popular message, but I'm saying the road less traveled. Sometimes the best road. It's harder. But I'm telling you, trust God in the process. You've got no options. That is your Christian responsibility. We're people of faith, not of fear. We're people that have to challenge ourselves constantly and say, I'm going to trust God with this issue in my life right now. Yes, it's harder, but I want you to straighten it out, God. Here's what Proverbs says. Love this passage. This is the passage that I want to roll out of bed, throw myself on the floor, and start praying over my life. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make straight your paths. What that doesn't say is that you're, you're, it's a downhill journey, like it's all easy. You just put it on cruise control and you coast. That straight path could be straight uphill. You could have trouble all along the way. But my point in saying is this, is that trust God, and God's going to make you tough. That's the journey that we're on. In our culture, in our time, right now, Christians, you got to be tough. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face uh, uh, obstacles, challenges in your workplace, in your own faith. Everything's being tested right now. And God says, will you trust me? Will you just trust me today? With that issue, would you trust me? And so this is a journey. Here's some wisdom for the wise men from the wise men, is just trusting God is going to make you tough. I guarantee you they sat around a campfire after it was all over, and they're like, man, that was a crazy journey. From Babylon to Jerusalem, King Herod, what a jerk. What a bad guy. Man, that was crazy. Aren't you glad we did it? 
And now the next adventure is all the more attainable because you've got a notch on your belt and you could say, I've been there, I've done that, I got the t-shirt. One of my, uh, Pastor Ellis got uh, the coronavirus, I did too, and we tested negative very quickly and we were grateful, but he came back and he had coronavirus, he had a shirt that said, Corona man, I beat Corona. I was like, dude, you are bold. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't live in fear. Why well, we got to use wisdom. We got to be careful. But I'm telling you, the whole Christian life, you better trust God and realize this is going to make you tough. Number two, I want to challenge you. Worship can take some work. That means that uh, you know, worship isn't just natural and normal. I hear people say, well, I went to a church service and I just didn't connect. I'm like, yeah, that's because worship isn't, isn't normal. Like it's, I mean, it's just, it, it, yeah, it is, but we can get so easily distracted. Our heart's not in the right place. We're thinking about the football game, the lunch. We're thinking about the kids. We're thinking about everything. Like it's hard work to really engage in worship. Personal worship is getting alone with God and just saying, Lord, I, I need you in my life. Help me, heal me, guide me, direct me. And then there's corporate worship and gathering with your church family. And then coming and saying, God, speak to me through this message. Speak to me through the worship. Like, I need you. And then there's the daily worship. Just everywhere you go, everything I do, Lord, I want it to be worshipful. Well, guess what? It takes hard work. And I think of the wise men, they worked really hard to worship. Like, I love that. They go from Babylon to Jerusalem. They probably had some awkward conversations with their family. Like, look, I know this is a sizable amount of a, of a financial investment that we're making, but we, we want to honor this child whom we believe is the Messiah, according to Micah, and the star that was prophesied about too. Like, we really think this is important. That's some hard work. Those are some hard conversations. And as believers, you just need to know, like, 2021 may be hard for you to worship still. But commit to it. That's one of the greatest commands. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart. The greatest commandment is love God with all your heart. So don't cop out and give up if it's hard work. Of course it's hard work. Because the, Jeremiah says, the prophet said that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. So in other words, that old hymn that we've sung before, uh, uh, prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. Like you and me just don't wake up every day like, God, I want to worship you. And if you do, then I'm just going to say, I, I don't know about that. So here's what we see in Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is, by the way, your spiritual worship. It's a living sacrifice. Every single day that you, you make a conscious decision to say, I want to live for you. And it's going to take a sacrifice. Worship can take some hard work. It can be a scary deal at times, but... That's why, too, the, the Scripture talks about this importance of this Sabbath, setting a day aside. I mean, some of you, I know, we have folks that show up, and they drive all the way deep from the West Valley, and they're here, and that's awesome. It takes some hard work. If you find a worshipful community, man, you just need to stick with it and stay in it. And on a personal space, how you worship God at home or 
how you display your worship in your workplace, like, do it. And don't expect it to be easy. It's your spiritual act of worship. I'm challenged that I got a, even as a preacher, people ask me, like, do you, do you have your own devotional time outside of your studies? And my answer is absolutely. You know, I mean, do I worship when I'm reading the Bible and preparing a message for you? Man, I do. Like, it's great. Can you do that in your workplace? Do your work and let it be worship? Yeah, you can. I tell my kids, I used to, and now they're, now they're, they're about to turn 16. Help me, Lord Jesus. I used to tell them when I'd drop them off at the car or the you know, drop-off line, I'd say, hey, today, like, just so you know, your greatest act of worship today is use your mind to learn everything you can learn. Because the Bible says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so worship is not just Joshua and the worship team coming up on stage and playing some songs. It's your whole life. And what I see in this pattern of Scripture is these wise men, their act of worship, it wasn't singing a song at Christmas. It was giving their all. Say, I'm all in. Probably lose some friends. Probably going to lose a lot financially on this one. But I'm all in. Worship can take some hard work. So don't give up on it. Keep moving forward no matter what. Number three, realize that treasures always reveal the truth. I think what's alarming to me is if folks have been around a long time at our church and they haven't ever given a penny to the church because what that means to me is they just don't care about it. And uh, don't get me wrong, like I, I want everybody to come to this church and whether they give or don't give, like that's between them and the Lord. But don't we know this truth? That whatever you put your money in, that shows you what you value. If you look at your own uh, financial uh, statement and you see all the things that you spend on, I mean, this is what fights happen in the marriage relationship. This is what gets the divorces going. It's like, well, you spend all the money on this. You don't care about me. You care about this. And it's like, yeah, there is some truth to that. What do you spend your money on? You know what I love about the wise men? They put their money where their mouth is. They said, we came to worship. And what's the very next thing? <laughs> Treasures. That's powerful. Like, if they would have came and been like, Jesus, we got a hot dog and some hamburgers for you. That's nothing. But it's treasure. And so I, I just want to challenge you in that. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So is there a way that you can get your heart to behave? I think there is. You put your finances where you believe is important. So let me just not talk about the church for a moment. If your marriage is important, your dollars better show it. If your work is very important to you, put your money into it. If your education is important, put some money in it. Make it work. If you, you feel God's calling you to a new venture, put some money in it. Get to work. If you go ask everybody else for money to start the company that you're starting, probably not going to work. Your heart's probably not there. So I worked as, uh, for years. I thought I was going to just do small business entrepreneurship. That's what I studied in college. And that was just always a principle. The small business owners of America, they're all hardworking people. And what do they do? They put everything they've got into those businesses. 
And that's what's sad about what's going on right now. So many businesses are being shut down and families are struggling. But we as people, we got to put our treasures with whatever we believe in is the most important. And I've told you before at North Valley, we had this incredible opportunity for our year end for our operational giving is for a huge matching gift. And so I want to challenge you. And first of all, before I challenge you, I want to thank you because I talked to friends of mine that literally they're, they're having to close their churches because the church financially just wasn't committed. Maybe their heart wasn't there. Um, I've talked to other churches that had to lay off a lot of staff. We didn't have to do any of that. Because you guys, I believe, here's the deal, your heart was here. And so for me, as a believer, as a pastor, like I feel like we are a tougher church. Because if COVID can't beat us, then what can? Like we're making it through. We're going through. We're, we're going to end the year strong. And I say thank you to you who said, you know what, I'm going to put my investment in the church, and I'm going to keep it up, and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep being faithful, and don't we all have to trust God when we're financially investing into God's work through the church? I mean, we got to, especially in uncertain times. And so before I challenge you, let me thank you, and let's thank the Lord right now for blessing us in an ability to kind of keep things moving. Can we do that? Thank you, Lord. And everything comes from God, and everything that we have is uh, literally a gift from God, and then we just got to steward it the way He wants us to steward it. Um, so thank you first. And then second, I just challenge you because we have a matching gift, a $100,000 matching gift, that if you give between now and the Christmas season, it's going to be matched. And that's a huge blessing. And so most churches, the Christmas, I hate the pressure I feel sometimes because usually we make up a huge portion of our budget during the December months. And so I'm asking you, would you just do your best in your one-time gift above and beyond your regular giving in December so we can end strong, probably no better time in North America for us people that love their church and love Jesus's work through the church to give in 2020. And then let's start strong in January. That'd be awesome. Um, today, after our third service, we're baptizing through three new folks in our church, and we're thankful for what God's doing in our church. It's awesome. And I've got even better news, so I'll tell you a story. Um, several years ago, I, I had met with our elder team, and I said, you know, we've been developing this nine-acre campus, and maybe you didn't know, but as you drive into the campus and you look to your left, all those fences over there and those crazy looking tiki huts, like grass huts, you're like, what the, what is that? I tell people, you got to drive through Tijuana to get to paradise, baby. Come on. <laughs> so I like it. You, 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 you know, it's bad curb appeal, but you get in and you're like, this is an oasis. This is good. So I told our elder team a couple years ago, I said, look, I really believe that God has called us to really have not only a nine-acre campus, but have a few more acres, and they agreed, and I said, I'm going to need the time, and so we arranged a teaching team to help me, and so they taught uh, Del Huse and then uh, Bob Lehman, which, by the way, is going to be preaching uh, Christmas, uh, uh, December 27th, so we got that teaching team together, and I went to work, and I found a, a land banking team, men in our church and outside of our church that were generous, and they said, I said, would you just, look, would you just help us buy this land, and then 
in X amount of time, will the church will buy it back. And they all said, and this took a long time, they all said, yeah, it was a massive deal. And he said, yeah, we will, and, uh, but I was still short. We were short, uh, several hundred thousand dollars. And so then the owner of the property says to me, hey, Ryan, it's been great working with you, but kind of need to tie things up. And I'm like, man, we're short. There's no way. Can you come down on your price? No, I cannot. I said, okay, gosh, give me a deadline. He said, September 26, not this uh, most recent December, the year before. And I said, man, okay, that's like a few months. I don't know what we'll do. So I told the elder team and I told you all, I said, would you guys be praying? Like we need a little miracle because we're really short. And I think that property is very important. Our elder team agreed. And so we were short, and I'm sitting there on September 26. I kid you not. Crazy story. Thank you, Lord. I'm sitting there September 26. I'm sad. I'm a little heartbroken. I don't know about you, but if you ever have a vision or a dream to do something, and you think that God's supposed to do it and pull it off, and then you see it's not happening, can't you get discouraged? So I've gone so far before with visions and plans and if they don't work out and I believe that I need to give them to God, I've literally taken my written plans, light them on fire and throw them in a trash barrel. And then I say to God, if you want to resurrect this thing, you make it happen. So that's what I did. I burned it. I let it die. And I told the other team, I'm done. I, I can't do it anymore. September 26th, I'm there in my office, 4 p.m. I got a sign over and all the property is going to go back and we're not going to be able to buy it. And I got to say goodbye to the land bankers. And we were 80% of the way there. And I got to give it up. I'm like, gosh, Lord. And then I I get a knock on the door. Hey, is that Pastor Ryan here? I'm like, dude, this is a bad time for a random appointment. And uh, oh, it's you. Hey, sir. It was a developer that was in the community. And he said, yeah, we were supposed to have a meeting, but I'm sorry. I had to cancel. It didn't work out can I meet with you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking like in a month or two weeks, like I don't even know you. Literally random guy off the street. Uh, what do you do? Well, I'm a developer. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. Glad you're here, sir. And he comes into my office. He says, can we talk uh, uh, just real privately? I said, sure. He opens up this book and he says, I, I, uh, I'm a Christian. I said, great. I, I am too. <laughs> he said, I, 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 I've been praying. I said, great. I'm so glad you've been praying. How can I help you? He says, I have a confession to make. I'm like, this is an awkward conversation. I'm like, I I got a lot of Catholic friends and they come to me and they make their confessions. I'm like, you know, I'm not a priest and you got a Jesus. He's a great priest. And yeah, I'm just a pastor, but sure, go ahead and confess. So I say, okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead. And he said, you know that land? And I'm like, yeah, I know the land. And he goes, well, yeah, that north parcel where your semis are. Yeah, yeah, I know that land. Today's the day I, I got to let it go. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, well, I f- feel like I have to confess to you. I'm really, really sorry because, see, I was going to buy that land because I knew you couldn't, and uh, I was going to take it away from the church. But then the Lord spoke to me and said, that's not yours. You can't have that. I said, and he says, so you guys can have it. I said, man, <laughs> That is so cool. Like, thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your courage. What an example. Like, who does that? 
confesses to a pastor he doesn't even know and says he's sorry and says the Lord spoke to him and told him that he's sorry for doing that. And then I said, well, and he said, so it's y'all's. Y'all, y'all, you guys can have it. And I said, well, well, the problem is we're short. And he says, how much? And I named the number and he goes, okay. And I said, he goes, when's your deadline? I said, today, in 45 minutes. And he goes, let me see the phone. Picks up the phone, calls the owner and says, hey, by the way, I'm standing in Ryan's office. And uh, yeah, he's not signing those papers. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't make him mad. Don't do that. He says, he's not signing those papers. We'll work this out. Give me a week. I guess they knew each other. I had no idea. Then he says to me, hey, Ryan, uh, this is a special day, isn't it? I said, yeah, I'm just confused. Like, what do you do? Uh, yeah, it's very special. What are we doing? And then he said, I'll see you in a week. Okay, am I in trouble with the old land, land guy? Like, I don't know what to do. I got to tell these land banking team what's going on. And he says, just relax. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, relax. So a week later, I meet here in the courtyard, and he's got a, a friend with him. I'm like, hey, what do you do? He's like, I'm an attorney. I'm like, oh, great, love it when the lawyers show up. <laughs> and I'm like, what, why, why, why are we doing this? And then he says, you know, we've prayed about it or thought about it. I told you I'm a Christian man. God spoke to me, and I understand you're short, and I made arrangements, and I'm just going to cover the difference. And I said, oh, so, so you're going to give us a loan? He said, no, I want to gift you the money. And, yeah. and I was like, you got to be kidding me. It's the largest gift we would ever receive in this church. I said, why are you doing that? And he said this, I just want to be obedient. I'm like, you're my hero, man. That is so cool. And I said, look, I, I, I don't know what to say. This is crazy. I mean, you know that day I was about to sign it over and it was going to be done. This is the resurrection I was looking for. Burn it. Let it go. Trust God in the process. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. In your spiritual faith, just trust God. Be obedient. Do what he's calling you to do. And believe that God wants to do things even at the last second that you, you had no idea. It's always the best way. Is it hard? Do you know how long passed? Almost two years passed from the day I was in the office to, to, to on Friday, I received the check so that we could be 20% landowners in that North parcel so that North Valley will have a strong future. Amen? Let's celebrate. Lord Jesus, thank you. This is your church. We love you. We pray that you would fill us with your power and your presence through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for the faithfulness and service, the faithfulness in giving, the life change that we see through baptism. And God, we pray that our lives would be wrapped around the ways of your word. And God, when you show up in a supernatural, extraordinary way, might we bend our wills and our mindset to more conform to you Thank you for what you're doing in and through this church for our good and, Lord, for your glory. We pray every heart that is discouraged might find encouragement today through the power of Christ. Find everyone that's been lost for a very long time would take that step and just turn around and find out that they're home. Thank you for your great love and your great mercy. It's never-ending in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.